baseline is off the bike, doubled over with a massive cramp. A Stars and Stripes jersey for a Paceline guest. And a German bike maker bringing its consumer direct to the U.S. The Paceline, the podcast on two wheels. We are a working group of three. And the man we love to put on the front, especially in a headwind, is the one and only fatty of fatcyclist.com. I'm a good man to draft behind. You are. So next in line, and for now in the draft, is our Patrick Brady of redkiteprayer.com. Howdy. Welcome, Patrick. Uh, RKP, of course, the home to the pace line. This podcast tends to post every Thursday, so make sure you're checking uh, Red Kite Prayer on Thursdays for the latest edition of the pace line. Of course, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, other places too, but we'd really love if you found us at redkiteprayer.com. Again, we post uh, every Thursday. I'm Michael Houghton, RKP contributor, Paceline host. And uh, guys, we have hit a milestone of sorts. This is our 20th edition of the Paceline, so way to keep it working. These kind of small victories, man, they're important to us. 20 shows, not bad, huh? Consistency. It's just like training. Yeah, it's cool. I, we actually have, right, you're exactly right, Patrick, and we haven't missed a week so far, so 20 in a row, not bad. I think we got started what, around the first of the year, so going strong here, and we um, we want to thank uh, the Paceline listeners for downloading, streaming, however you get us, and, and supporting us. It's really cool. We're, we're happy to do it, and uh, on to 20 more, I say. Uh, we are fresh off Memorial Day weekend. That's kind of the unofficial start to summer. Of course, summer means uh, vacation and oftentimes travel, which gets us to our first topic, guys. And this idea was actually submitted by a Paceline listener. Doug Farrell wrote us and said, Patrick, Michael, and Fatty, congrats on the Paceline. It's quickly becoming, if not already, my favorite podcast. A suggestion for a segment. When you travel to a place where you know no one or have never been, how do you find good routes to ride? Is it the local bike shop, Map My Ride, or other online sites? Thanks. Take care. Doug Farrow, Plymouth, Minnesota. This is a good one, guys. Um, Fatty, give us your, your road trip ride planning resources. How do you do it? You know, there are so many great ways that are available now. You can go certainly old school, which is what I used to do all the time. Simply go to a bike shop, buy something. That is, it is not cool to simply go in, ask for advice, and then leave. But, you know, be a customer and ask, you know, where's a great place for me to ride? Explain to them a little bit about what kind of riding you're looking at, and you'll get a great answer from guys who actually know and ride the area. Nowadays, of course, it's easy to just ask on Facebook or on Twitter, and between those three, you can really triangulate and find a great place to ride. Patrick RKP has an entire section devoted to travel, so I would imagine you have a few tips in this area. Yeah, my favorite thing in the past, you know, especially when I was still racing and I wanted to make sure I was going to find a quick group ride, was to Google clubs uh, in the area. So I would look up all the different cycling clubs. And then I would start uh, going through the sites and trying to figure out, uh, okay, these are, you know, the helmet mirror set and going to go out for, (laughs) you know, slower, more leisurely rides. Whereas, you know, okay, here's the local racing club where all the cat ones and twos and threes are. 
Um, and then I would just start contacting clubs and saying, Hey, I'm looking for a group ride. I'm going to be in the area. Uh, I'm, a, you know, a relatively intelligent cat three, you know, I've, I've got some fitness. I can keep up. I'll take my poles. Uh, just show me where the turns are and I'll, I'll contribute. Uh, can I come along? And uh, more often than not, I would get great responses from folks uh, who would immediately invite me out and, you know, buy me coffee afterward. But uh, Fatty's, uh, Fatty's point of going to a bike shop and buying something, you know, one of the other things I always made sure to do was I would visit a local bike shop and I would buy a pair of bottles emblazoned with their logo uh, just to show them a little a little extra love. I don't think it's enough just to buy a tube or a patch kit or something. Yeah. Um, I'd want to show them some respect for, you know, who they are as a shop. Mm-hmm. Um, I too use, you know, the online resources. Garmin connect is another one. Mountain bike project um, tends to work. If you're headed for some uh, off-road activity with a mountain bike, a Google search, yeah, I like to check out the local cycling clubs. Your hometown, in fact, Patrick, your current hometown, Santa Rosa, Santa Rosa Cycling Club. Man, they have a, a list of rides and route sheets that anyone can download. So yep. there's always those those resources that you can just do on your own. Uh, this summer, I found myself with a real challenge. I'm going to northern Montana, the west side of Glacier National Park, a place called Big Prairie. It's 10 miles south of the Canadian border. Uh, no Wi-Fi. No utility supplied electricity, no tarmac up to the house. Uh, you better be prepared. And if you want to ride, man, you better go with some local knowledge when you're talking about the uh, West Glacier area. So what I did this time was I reached out to you two guys. And guessing that <laughs> one or both of you had been to the uh, the Glacier area. Fatty, not so much. Sorry. Um, that's Okay. <laughs> Uh, Patrick had been there, and he replied to my inquiry with this. Uh, you want to ride up through Glacier and climb going to the Sun Highway and take pictures. And then you want to write a post for RKP about the experience. So I already have an assignment while I'm on vacation. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> Patrick continued, you want, in capital letters, want to do this. Again, you want to do this. It's a forbidding landscape with plenty of bear. Um... The bear it has been a number of decades, though, since, Patrick, you've been to, to, been to the area, right? I mean, it's been a while. Yeah, but it hasn't changed much, far less than Southern I, I, California. Right. Areas like that don't. So what Patrick did, and this is how it can work, folks, is Patrick put me in touch. Patrick knows people who know people. And, and Fatty knows people who know people. That's why I reached out to them. This is how this is going to work. So Patrick put me in touch with David Kirk of Kirk Frameworks, even though David lives in Montana. Again, it's such a vast state. He's like, look, I don't know very many people in that particular area. We also have reached out to Carl Strong of Strong Frames. Carl's a listener to the Pace Line, so Carl, thanks for listening. And Carl, even though he doesn't, he's not familiar with the West Glacier area, put me with him, uh, in touch with one of his customers um, up in the area. So now I'm exchanging emails with the owner of Stolt Pet Store. That's right, I said pet shop, not bike shop. <laughs> and the owner of Stolt Pet Store is now my whitefish contact. And so that's how this can work, man. People just connecting and helping each other figure out where to ride when man, you have no idea where you're going. Yeah. And I, I like the people connection because, you know, um, Carmen Connect and the Strava files, uh, they don't talk back to you. You can't ask them questions like, well, what about this climb? Or... What kind of bike should I take? People can tell you and make suggestions, recommendations about what to do when you're in the area. 
Yeah. So cool. And if I could offer one other little tidbit, you know, on the mountain biking front, uh, I need to give a vote of confidence to my buddies, Francis and Greg and company over at mtbr.com, uh, Mountain Bike Review. Uh, they've got a whole, you know, where to ride uh, channel within the site uh, that gives a lot of beta on different trails. Um, you know, it's not as great for like figuring out a whole loop, but if you've been thinking about riding Pine Mountain, you know, up above LA, uh, or, you know, some of the stuff around here, Annadel, uh, you know, it's, it's got an awful lot of information. Uh, the trails get ratings. So, you know, whether or not this is, uh, or go out of your way, uh, to do a, a, a trail, you know, kind of the, the bucket list of stuff you want to make sure you don't miss, um, and then there are comments by, you know, readers who've gone and done it. And some of them uh, on occasion are pretty up to the minute. So you can even find out about trail conditions from time to time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mountain biking is the tricky one because, I mean, at least for the road ride, somebody could say, yeah, you go up the highway here, you make a right. You know, maps are usually pretty good with roads. But mountain bikes, man, you can miss a trailhead or a turn or you want to watch for the single track after the big oak tree and... Uh, sometimes those, uh, those verbal commands can get lost when you're out there dealing with roots and rocks and so forth. So having good guidance when you're off road, uh, can go along and having a barbell when you're in Montana, I think, and bear spray, <laughs> probably also great advice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vincenzo Nibali, hopefully getting in a short vacation before the tour de France, taking time to lounge around in his pink Jersey, contemplating his accomplishments over the last uh, three weeks and his future. Italy's best Grand Tour racer, of course, rides for a team from Kazakhstan, which may seem a little odd. But now it turns out he could end up on a team from Bahrain next year. Prince Nasser bin Hamad al-Khalifa has confirmed he plans to set up a Bahrain cycling team. And Cycling News reporting that it's a good bet that Nibali will race for that team in 2017. A pink jersey, or the wearer of that pink jersey, the defender of it, could end up on a new team in a completely different country. But it seems like... a Patrick, the, the Middle East and that that area of the world is really has cycling fever, racing fever. That is, we're seeing a much all more sport, interest over there. All sport is, I think, the fairest way to put it. I mean, you know, you've got F one going to Bahrain. You know, you've got all sorts of stuff in Qatar. Um, you know, yeah, the the oil rich nations. Uh, you know, part of their effort to uh, legitimize themselves. You know, in in the the tourist sphere, uh, is by promoting sport. Mm-hmm. And certainly they're Last, better able to fund a cycling team than Kazakhstan. <laughs> right. I, I think that's what the Astana team is is learning, that there's more money uh, coming from Bahrain and the, those oil-rich countries, and they're going to have a hard time keeping up in a bidding war for Nibali's services in 2017. Uh, last show, we interviewed Tour of California winner Megan Guarnier of the Bowles Dolman cycling team. The more the fans speak out about how much they want to see us and um, that it's not enough, that, that'll put the pressure on the media and the organizations to get, get our races out there. And the more Megan keeps doing what she's doing, people will pay attention. Guanyer defended her Stars and Stripes road title at Nationals in Will- uh, rather Winston-Salem, North Carolina. For the men, it was another Axel Merckx fine performing well. 21-year-old Greg Daniel of the Axion Hegman's Berman team outdueled a host of top Americans with much more experience. A surprise win, to say the least here, guys. It was a surprise even to Daniels, who had given himself a 0.1% chance of winning. 
The Race of Truth was a uh, comeback validation on the men's side and a Rio validation on the women's. Taylor Finney took the TT by over a minute. Uh, I was going back and forth. I started out, I felt like I was flying, and then pretty much gave up on myself. And then was like, nah, don't do that. And came back. It's just such a weird mental battle. I don't know why I, uh, <laughs> I'm inclined to do that to myself. But uh, it went pretty well in the end. <laughs> I'm happy that I won. Carmen Small, who two years in a row found the podium, but both times was looking up at Kristen Armstrong, beat the reigning champ in the TT. I mean, I left it all out there. The last 300 meters, I wanted to die. Um, yeah, I had James in, the, in my ear the whole way, and he was just go, 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 all the way to the line. Every second counted, so um, I really didn't have much time after to figure out if I won or not. So I followed. They passed me, and they stopped, and he said, yeah, I didn't want Small's victory should give her a slot on the ladies' Olympic cycling team. Finney's win pretty much says he is back from his broken leg and can now get back to targeting Worlds and one-day classics. How do you guys feel about... Uh, are we looking okay going into Rio? Are we? Do we have an uh, Olympic team that's going to... I mean, I think Megan Guarnier is a... As a certain contender, I don't know from there though what we've what we got. I'm hoping for the best. I'd like to think that we have uh, several women, you know, capable of the podium in Brazil, and certainly, you know, Taylor Finney is going to be uh, one of the favorites for gold there. Um, nobody in the U.S. is a shoe in though. I mean, it's not like we have any, uh, you know, any. Yeah, just kind of shoe ins for uh, for victory. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a, a very strong international field right now, but we've got some really terrific candidates. And you know, I'd like to say that I I'm really thrilled for Finney. I mean, this is kind of the culmination of his comeback, I think. And uh, to me, you know, his honesty in interviews. Um, his depth of introspection makes him, from for my money, the most interesting pro rider out there today. Right. Uh, more ugliness with motos and bike racing. A number of riders were injured in a crash with two motorbikes at the Tour of Belgium, one of whom, Stig Brox, has been left in a coma. Now, the UCI has announced new rules to try and improve safety. In response to this latest crash, motorbike riders must at all times prioritize the safety of riders in the race, spectators, and other vehicles. Everyone in charge of a vehicle must immediately comply with all directions from race commissaires, and the commissaires are under orders to police the overtaking of riders by motos. The UCI says these rules are backed by sanctions, but guys, it sounds like these are rules that should have been in place for a long time. I was just going to say, so that first one's a rule of common sense, right? Mm-hmm. That riders' safety ought to be a priority? <laughs> I mean... It's just, I don't know. That's a newsflash, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Guys, from now on, stop killing the riders. It's yeah. bad for business. Yeah. Maybe maybe the strongest thing here that, they, that they've done is they've given commissaires, you know, some power to immediately deal with motos as they're overtaking riders. Um, so some police powers to, to prevent something bad from happening. Well, I mean, we've had what it's silly though. You know, it's like what you're going to see repeated violations from somebody and then you're going to do something. What, what is it short of knocking a rider down? That's going to get somebody yelled at. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is all just utterly preposterous. 
you know, they've got stickers for approving bike frames to make sure they're safe enough, which is one of the dumber things they've ever come up with. <laughs> you know, I mean, Specialized is going to make damn sure that their frames are strong enough to withstand the rigors of racing because a broken frame you know, from a guy simply pedaling on it is the worst PR you would ever get in your whole life. Nothing that the UCI could do would ever amount to anything compared to the black eye in PR if if their frames are breaking. You know, so getting approval from the UCI uh, for frames is is just, you know, it's a Band-Aid on something that wasn't wounded. And meanwhile, you know, continually you know it's it's a problem in a way that it was not in the past sure there have always been injuries there have always been things going on but the rate at which this is happening shows that it's an epidemic of a problem and the uci has been utterly ineffective in dealing with it Mm -hmm. and with the tour de france just around the corner the uci really needs to get a handle on this because just imagine if something goes down on the roads of france with triple quadruple the eyeballs uh, watching that race, boy, the outrage will just be nuts. So the UCI is really up against it right now. They really need to get a handle on uh, this problem. Uh, the pace line is about to come to a premature stop. We have a dreaded and debilitating muscle spasm, a.k.a. Charlie Horse. A cramp. <laughs> An interesting potential remedy, though, is on the horizon. That is next on the pace line. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Fatty, Patrick Brady, Michael Houghton here. Cramps. Oh, man. This fits into that category of things that experienced cyclists get asked a lot. And we've talked about you know, chamois cream. People want to know, how do you go to the bathroom when you're wearing those funky shorts? Leg shaving. Why do you shave legs? Um, I think this question, though, about cramping is, is a question that is asked cyclist to cyclist at all levels whether they be a beginner or even even the veteran. How do you deal with cramps? What can I do to... I cramp all the time. It's something we hear frequently. What is a cramp? It's an involuntary and forcibly contracted muscle that does not relax. I'm reading from one of those medical websites, WebMD or one of them. Any muscle can spasm. But a full-on cramp usually occurs in the muscles we control, especially the legs, quads, hams, and calves. Those are called true cramps. I just call them cramps because yeah. they all hurt, you know. True cramps include the ones that occur during activity or because of injury or at rest or while sleeping. Those are the nocturnal cramps. I get those awful. Uh, causes have been a guessing game. Uh, muscle overuse, dehydration, low levels of sodium, calcium, magnesium, or potassium. A muscle that is poorly trained can obviously cramp. Now, most cramps can be stopped if the muscle can be stretched. Of course, that is a problem for us since stopping means losing time or just plain losing. But even winners get cramps. Taylor Finney won a national title uh, in the TT over the weekend. Uh, I've spent the last hour and a half dealing with cramps, so I'm uh, the joy of victory hasn't quite set in yet because I'm still deep in the main game. And Finney then excused himself from the media scrum so he could go back to his spasms, which uh, still had not subsided some you know, 15, 20 minutes after the TT had concluded. Fatty, you recently talked in depth 
on the fatty cast uh, with someone who's developing a product that could could prevent and or stop cramps. Tell us about what you learned about cramping and who is at the, this new and interesting product. Yeah. So I talked with Dr. Bob Murray, and he is with the this codenamed It's the Nerve product, which is a kind of sweet but ultimately very spicy drink. Um, it is something that I can drink and kind of like. My wife tries it, and it is way too hot for her. But the idea behind it is is that there is a taste-to-nerve connection, and it will stop a cramp, at least for some people, in its tracks. And for me, it's actually worked. I uh, suffer cramps when racing very frequently, and I wake up with cramps from time to time. And I also, and you know, interesting factoid about me, I can actually cause my right calf to cramp anytime I choose to, just by doing an isometric tensing of it. And it was actually through that method, by doing the isometric tensing of my right calf and trying this, it's the nerve thing, that I found that, at least for me, this stuff works. Um, And every time I've tried it, and... Uh, which has not been during a race yet. I haven't uh, been in a race where I have cramped since I've gotten this product to try, but it's worked for me. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Both at times when I've waken up in the middle of the night and just when I've been training and exerted to the point where I had a cramp, this super hot tasting thing works for me. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think that it may have some real promise and, I mean, I've been stopped cold, I mean, to the point where I have to put both legs down and go into, you know, the crazy, stupid-looking stretching exercises that we've all seen racers do on the side of a road so many times. It's nice. It's nice to have have at least the thought that I've got something in my center jersey pocket that might help me uh, get back on the bike. Um We've heard about people doing pickle juice mm-hmm. and even mustard. Uh, I've used either both. Prov- mm-hmm. You've used both. Oh yeah. And uh, but this is a, this is a, like a spicy, a capsicum, like cayenne pepper almost. Is it? Yeah, yeah. It it has. I would say it is slightly less hot than Tabasco in terms of uh, the effect. Uh, it definitely it's a, a taste that goes deep. And you do tend to burp it up afterward. I mean, the you, you have some hot burps afterward, and I don't know how that's going to feel during a race. But no, I've used I've used pickle juice with good effect. I've I've tried mustard with not as good effect. I think different people are going to react differently to different things. Um, but uh, yeah, for this, uh, you know, I would say this might be something worth trying. They're expensive is one thing. They, these little two-ounce bottles are, are around six bucks a pop. So wow. it's not something that you're going to want to uh, use every time you ride. But if you're getting a cramp, but, you know, six bucks to stop a cramp in the middle of of an important race to you is a bargain. Now, they've yet to put it on the market. It's not for sale yet. What is the hang-up with It's the Nerve? I wonder, I, I expect that they are treading the line or trying to determine what is the threshold between hot enough and spicy enough that it works for most people 
but not so hot that it is not tolerable for most people. Some, you know, what what is the threshold where it works for both my wife and me, but that is not so hot that my wife simply would not be able to use it. Mm-hmm. And the That's idea my is that they haven't told yeah, me and the, anything like that. And the idea is it somehow short circuits this the system that is that is making the muscle cramp. It gets in between yeah. your nervous system and the muscle itself and short circuits that. I wonder if they really even know. In, in my mind, it's that it distracts you away from your cramp. <laughs> that it, yeah. it, it focuses your your mind, including whatever subconscious part of you was saying, "Hey, let's uh, let's contract these muscles and not let go," and sort of you know punches that reset button. Hopefully, with the expectation that it's you're not going to just go back into a cramp two minutes later. Mm-hmm. And for what well, it's worth, you- I have not. You know, when I've tried this, I haven't gone back into a cramp ten minutes later into a ride. Mm-hmm. Well, you put the good doctor on the spot Mm -hmm. about cramping in general and whether their product is just a masking agent for a larger problem. This is from the fatty cast. Are we bypassing an important warning system that our body has built in that, you know, it's kind of likening it to, you know, if, if the smoke alarm goes off, you can take down the smoke alarm. But that doesn't mean the fire went away, right? I, I'm wondering, uh-huh. are, are, are cramps evolution an evolutionary reaction to you going too hard? And should you, you know, and, am, am I enabling myself to push myself to a place where I shouldn't be? It doesn't seem that that's the case. Mm-hmm. And, and here's, here's our thinking. Um, from an evolutionary standpoint, it doesn't make any sense at all for a cramp to occur when you're being chased by a wild animal who wants to devour you. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that makes sense. Even, even if the body's trying to protect uh, from a muscle strain, for example, mm-hmm. th- this is not good timing. <laughs> so our thinking is that a cramp is just an absolute failure of neuromuscular communication. So, you don't, no, so, that you don't, yeah. so there's no evolutionary or there, there's no benefit at all to a cramp that cramps are never anything but bad is kind of what you're saying i think right well that, that you know it, to, to the to our way of thinking that that seems to be the case that's mm-hmm. tough to make an evolutionary case for why a cramp might occur yeah well i i don't have one <laughs> i'd be perfectly happy to never have another cramp myself yeah well you know join the club Again, uh, Dr. Bob Murray with uh, It's the Nerve, and it's the name they are using now until they come up with the real name for this uh, spicy product that Patrick or that Fatty has been uh, trying out for us. Patrick, are you a cramper, and <laughs> what do you do about them? Well, I mean, here's the weird thing. I kind of think there may be something wrong with me because I don't ever cramp. I The wow. last time I had a significant cramp was... Waking up in France following a very long flight, you know, to get to the Alps, and I stretched in bed and I got a terrible calf cramp that, you know, here I am, I don't know, 10 years later, still remembering. Um, I don't cramp. And I sometimes wonder there's if there's something wrong with how I eat or drink or something. I mean, what am I not doing that causes me not to have this experience that is, you know, so common to every cyclist on the planet. Not riding well, hard enough. 
That's true because cramping is an over is really an overuse injury. It's your body saying you're using that muscle too much. Stop. No, no, I'm going to stop you now, and I'm going to seize that muscle up. What's your diet like? Do you eat spicy foods? Yeah, some. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And a lot of veggies? Um, uh, Probably not quite enough, but, you know, hmm. some. Yeah. Lucky you. Uh, I am not a cramper on the bike. Now, I do have this weird thing that does happen to me. When I've fallen, say, on my mountain bike and my body kind of clinches up, I'll get abdominal cramps. Hmm. And um, it makes it, yeah, it's really weird. My my abs will just cramp right up, and it, it takes some work for me to get straight up and down again. I almost double over with these cramps. I do get those nocturnal cramps, uh, especially after hard training. I'll get up in the, in the middle of the night. I'll just be wailing in pain. Here are some of the things I've tried uh, and, and continue to use. Uh, magnesium and calcium. This is old school stuff. Uh, magnesium and calcium are the two minerals that help your muscles relax or contract. Calcium, calcium for contraction, mal- magnesium allows the muscle uh, to release. I've also read that vitamins E and D have shown some pros- promise. Uh, quinine, I'm not certain about this word. Quinine, it's found in tonic water. Some success with that, but the government uh, does not endorse it as a cramp remedy but uh i i've actually suggested the magnesium thing to other people and they have had good success with i had a buddy of mine racer who just could hardly finish anything of of length without doubling over in cramps and i helped him pick out a magnesium and he started on a small dose and he started having better days on the bike so this is a tough one guys because no one knows exactly i think even it's the nerve people don't really have their arms around this this problem it could be a number of things yeah we're definitely dealing more with oh i'm i'm sorry i didn't mean to step on you there michael but we're definitely dealing more with symptoms than causes uh that said it, it might be worth noting when a someone who has made a career of endurance racing specifically rebecca rush um actually helped me with a cramp i was having in leadville a couple of years ago um uh, this was the year she was uh, sort of riding with my wife and trying to uh, help her to a sub nine and just, you know, through a nice uh, confluence of circumstances, uh, she, the two of them passed me about 78 miles into the race. I was on a single speed. They were on their gears. They came cruising by, asked how I was doing. I said, I am cramping in both my quads and I was suffering bad. And she reached it into the back of her jersey pocket where she kept a flip tube of uh, goo roctane electrolyte capsules. And she said, take as many of these as you can. And I was like, what, two? And she said, no, a mouthful of them. And I did. I took, you know, I, I basically, I think, uh, I would guess probably six, you know, and washed them down. And I don't know if that, was what solved it but by the time i was climbing in earnest up the power line i was okay again um Mm. so you know it's different things different causes you know some people you know maybe a banana would have worked just as well it's hard to say and i think that's part of the mystery of these things is when they occur and how long they last and what is making them go away um but, you know, anything, you know, I think most of us would be 
willing to try practically anything because something so important to us is slipping away and you feel like it's your own body that is betraying you in a critical circumstance. Mm-hmm. Again, check out Fatty's interview with Dr. Bob Murphy, uh, Murray, that is, over at the on the Fatty Cast. For now, though, take everything, I think, with a grain of salt or a dash teaspoon. of spice, <laughs> yeah. in their case. Um, a teaspoon of salt, right. Yeah. Um, claims need to be vetted. And with all the suggestions you've heard about cramps, just you know, treat each with caution because I think people, you know, they can go overboard with some something they think is a remedy. They think they've found the secret to to fixing something, and you can go overboard with things too, and then really send yourself into a health tailspin. Yeah, and my anecdote uh, aside, it's never a good idea to try anything for the first time during a race. No, no, absolutely, <laughs> and that's why you know I saw it's the nerve up at our favorite race in Colorado, which I won't say the name of. And I just, I, I grabbed some, but I didn't even get it anywhere near my mouth until after I got home from said town in the uh, high mountains of Colorado. So uh, coming up, guys, a German bike maker takes aim at the American market with its consumer direct model that is next on the pace line there are a group of athletes who swear by pickle juice and they say you know pickle juice helps me for some people who suffer night cramps that taking mustard a spoonful of mustard before they sleep can help prevent cramps The pace line heads into the garage. The three of us are well-known gearheads. I think anyone who's been listening to the pace line, we love our gear news. And we got a pretty big business story, too, uh, in our gear segment this week. More consumer direct. Now, this time from a company that has been using this business model in Europe. Canyon Bikes. Canyon founder and CEO Roman Arnold has announced that after several years of rumors, Canyon is going to open up sales to the U.S. market. Uh, Canyon sells direct to consumers on its website with no dealer network and bikes almost fully assembled and shipped direct to the buyer. It plans to offer a U.S. version of its website in the spring of 2017. Uh, Previously, guys, if you wanted to get a Canyon, you had to have a billing and shipping address in a country in which Canyon does sell. Trek and Giant have announced plans to go consumer direct, but those companies will deliver bikes through its dealers. But now we have Canyon, which I'll be honest, it's a bike company I've been excited about and seeing in this country for a while. Yeah, you do see a, an occasional model here and there, but they look like really good machines. Patrick, what do you know about the Canyon brand? You know, not a whole lot just yet because I've never been able to speak with anyone from the company. I've not ridden any of the bikes. Uh, talking to other people I know who've had some contact with them, you know, they're really pretty impressive bikes. They're doing some very solid engineering work. Uh, I don't know who's actually producing the bikes for them. Uh, mm-hmm. So I can't speak to, you know, the, the carbon technology being used, but they've got a lot of splash around them. And, uh, you know, this is going to be a big deal because this is the first, you know, true direct to consumer uh, bike out there. And so it's it's going to change things. Fatty, you and I have seen Canyon in all its glory at our favorite race in Colorado in the high country. So just say it's it. a known say factor. It. Just say no, it. I'm not I'm not saying the L word. I already no. did when we were talking about cramping. 
<laughs> I know you did. Those but guys Canyon, need to pay us. Yeah, yeah really. Canyon in the dirt is, is something that mountain bikers obviously have been very interested in seeing. Good, good machines, at least as far as we can tell. Yeah, I, I, you know, I haven't ridden one. I don't know much about them. They look beautiful, um, but you know, until I could get fitted for one, I just, you know, I, you know, can't buy it till I ride it. That's just yeah, how it's got to be. Yeah, and you're a, you know, on the record, you have been a, I want to go to my LBS and get my bike properly set up or sized or what have you. So does the Canyon model, since they would, that bike would show up at your front door, strike you as something that maybe you personally would stay away from or be cautious about? Well, I would be cautious about it. I would, I think, um, want to avail myself of, what, if I understand right, they are going to have sort of a, a roving a test uh, van, you know, full of mm-hmm. bikes that you can try out. And that would be, I don't, you know, depending on how long you can ride it, how big of a ride you can take it out for, that might be enough. Um, I'm certainly going to be interested in seeing it. But they're obviously uh, aware of the concern that maybe some of us would have about that so but at least until i was able to get in a good long test ride uh no way would i ever get one right canyon as far as prices are concerned head-to-head matchups with models from other makes can match or beat the price of its competitors now some of that advantage may disappear when canyon starts dealing with u.s taxes and transportation costs here in the states um, maybe a key here, Patrick, to Canyon's U.S. invasion could be an investment by TSG Consumer Partners. TSG has about $5 billion in uh, assets, a lot of it in outdoors companies, most notably Backcountry.com, which owns competitive cyclists. So the Canyon-TSG partnership could set up an ordering and warranty network. And I guess, Patrick, you know one of the real issues with, this, with the Canyon model it's because they don't have a dealer network. Well, if you have a problem with a bike, what happens? You got to send it to Germany. I mean, they, with a country this vast, they need some type of infrastructure, wouldn't you think? Yeah, infrastructure is the biggest, biggest single hurdle that they faced. You know, it's not enough to have a good bike. You know, you got to be able to get the bike, and so uh, getting the bike involves warehousing. You know, because if you're ordering directly from Germany, uh, it's going to be insanely expensive to air freight that here. So, you know, they want to have some U.S.-based inventory. And then if there is a problem, you know, say say you've got the wrong size bike uh, or say you've got a bike that is defective in some way, um, you know, just something as simple as an assembly problem, um, you know, you need some place to be able to return that to so it can be worked on. And it's not enough for them just to have a warehouse. They've got to have enough staff to be able to move through that stuff. Because uh, they're not going to sell five of these, you know, they're yeah. they're hoping to sell hundreds and thousands of these, and so you know those those sorts of things can stack up in a hurry. Uh, people who dealt with uh, the bearing problems of Easton wheels will remember that you know those guys who had I believe it was four or five techs, you know, they just couldn't move through all the problems quickly enough. Um, and so you know there are there are some real valid concerns here. I think that for consumers who are motivated to have both a canyon and a good relationship with an IBD, you know, we'll find a way to, you know, purchase one of these and then, you know, take it to their IBD uh, for a fitting and, you know, find some other ways to uh, 
to still throw, uh, throw their deal or a bone, you know, buying another wheel set to go on the bike, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's really important for us to remember that uh, Trek's, Trek's decision to go consumer direct was a preemptive response uh, to this. And then Giant reacted to Trek's preemptive response by setting up their own program. If you want to learn more about uh, Consumer Direct and some of the issues involved with it, uh, I'd encourage you to check out Rick Vosper's columns. They are on Red Kite Prayer. Uh, If you're really into the business side of this and want to know more about how this model works and some of the issues with it, he's um, written some very smart pieces for RKP that are worth reading. They're long, but they're very good. SRAM... It's red ETAP, you know, all the rage at uh, Interbike last fall. Now they have ETAP Hydro HC Wireless Hydraulic. Pretty cool. ETAP uh, debuted, what, uh, last October sometime, maybe a little earlier. But at the time, it came out only with uh, mechanical cable-actuated brakes. No surprise, now the hydro option is coming to the wireless group. Sham says the hoods are a little smaller than previous hydro shifters, and they have added... Uh, a contact point adjustment. I know, Patrick, with you, the hoods were a bit of an issue. You you wanted to see a little more contouring. Yeah. I mean, there's this huge spire on the hydro hoods, you know, that rises up. And it's less that it's sizable than it's got some corners on it that make it seem like the industrial design aspect of this, the ergonomics were sort of unfinished. Um, you know, that said, the system works really, really well. And so combining their hydro system with uh, with ETAP is something that people are going to go uh, rather understandably bananas for. Mm-hmm. So look for, you know, the next iteration of ETAP now in Hydro, um, one of the most talked about group sets, certainly in the last uh, six months. All right, guys, uh, the pace line uh, about to roll to a stump. I'm going to share a little story about a ride I did over the weekend. But before uh, I do that, I wanted to check in with, of course, Fatty, who has uh, plenty going on with a Fatty Cast and FatCyclist.com. What do you got coming up, Fatty? Well, the Fatty Cast, uh, I, I want to say that we have a big surprise coming up. And that is going to be in the form of many episodes coming out in a very short period of time. I will say no more. You've been bankrolling? Have I, you been stashing them away? I do have a few in the bank. Okay. We will I I will keep my uh, my iPod, my iTunes account ready then for uh, a whirlwind <laughs> an onslaught of fatty cast. Patrick Brady, redkiteprayer.com, always a busy spot. What is in your notebook? Well, I just posted a review on a kid's bike, the Isla Bike 20-inch BN Small, which is their smallest model of uh, 20-inch wheeled uh, bike uh, for little people. And uh, it's a really pretty remarkable bike. And in my own personal riding, uh, I've just begun riding a Marin Mount Vision and spent uh, two of the three weekend days uh, over in Anadol riding that thing and um, <laughs> actually ripping off a number of PRs. Nicely done. Well, how, how are your PRs on the 20-inch bike? Um, I haven't recorded any. <laughs> Maybe that's mostly because I haven't ridden the bike. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Your judgment is uh, well accepted with readers about even the smallest of machines. <laughs> um, 
What's on my plate? Well, actually, I want to talk about something uh, that happened just a couple days ago. We do a, a ride here. Patrick is familiar with it called the Holiday Ride. It happens every national holiday. Um, fairly short ride, lasting just a couple of hours, and it focuses on a single climb called Mandeville Canyon. The gradient is 3 to 5% with a good pitch at the top. Takes about, for stronger riders, a good 20 minutes to to get up that thing. It is a bit of a beatdown, to say the least. I mean, people get fairly jacked up about this ride every national holiday. And there's a lot of back and forth going on, both on Facebook and online and what have you, about the results of said ride. So... You can imagine when the group does turn on to Mandeville Canyon, uh, things start to go happen. Things really start to happen. Fatty, uh, let me put instance, it to you this way. In the opening yeah. kilometer, I've done 26 miles an hour. Nice. That's uphill, folks. Yeah. yeah. Nice. That, that is the holiday ride. There's a little testosterone flowing. But thank goodness um, there are some bright spots there, too. And I found one yesterday. Uh, an amazing young lady. Now, I was um, on the holiday ride and hadn't done it in a while. And I went there with the intention to put out a good, strong effort. Actually, I was uh, double-checking my, my FTP. So I had a power meter on, and I had intentions to go up the climb and stay as close to the front as possible. So we turned on to Mandeville Canyon, and uh, I made the front group. And there was about, oh, I don't know, a dozen of us, maybe fewer. Um, and when the group started to really uh, stretch it out a little bit, I, go, I went ahead and stayed in my zone because I was trying to focus on more of a test and less of a race. And as I started to pedal steady at a steady hard rate, I came upon a person in a kit that I recognized, South Bay Wilman, uh, a lady, and she was riding very strong. And I encouraged her to get on my wheel. And I rooted for her. I said, come on, get on my wheel here. And she did. And we pulled, or I pulled, 300 watts steady uh, going up this climb. And this young lady stayed right there for most of the way up. I did I did gap her at the end a little bit, but she was there uh, nearly to the top of this climb. And as she rolled up, I, I went over and, and talked to her real quick um, and noticed she had um, the Stars and Stripe bands on her, on her jersey, indicating that she's a national champ. And I said, I first of all told her what kind of effort we'd put out, and I congratulate her. And she was the first woman to the top of this climb. And I said to her, I said, "Where did you get the the stars and stripes?" And she said, "Oh, I got them. Um, I got them in crit, road, time trial, and track." I said, "No, which one of those disciplines did you win the national jersey for?" And she looked right back at me and said, "Crit, road, TT, and track." I went, "You won all disciplines." <laughs> And she said, yeah. And I said, what age group? 11 to 12-year-old. Ah. I'm talking about Michaela McPherson of uh, South Bay Wheelmen, or Wheel Persons, a team that Patrick's familiar with. I raced for them at one time. Michaela McPherson, a good name probably to remember. She is 12 years old. Now, look, I'm no, you know, I, I ride pretty fairly strong, but we're talking about a 12-year-old holding somewhere around 300 watts for a climb. Patrick, you know this climb. You know what it takes to get up that thing. With all the other elements going around, all these goofballs thinking they're racing for a rainbow jersey or something, uh, she was right there. So I want to say hey to Michaela and keep going. Uh, I was thoroughly impressed. I told just about everybody I could as I rode <laughs> down the hill when I got back. I told my wife about her. Uh, an amazing – and it just – 
makes you go, that's cool. That's why I go out and do a group ride once in a while. Not to be banging heads with the testosterone freaks out there, but to find something like that. Um, congratulations, Michaela, on your national championships and way to ride. Very cool. Well, and, and congratulations to you for holding her wheel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and if I may, cheers to the South Bay Wheelmen for, you know, they've been making a, a big effort in promoting uh, the cycling of, of small people in the last uh, couple of years. And so, you know, seeing seeing real development out of that team again is a nice thing. Yep. South Bay Wheelmen, a uh, good group. If you're just getting started uh, in riding or racing, they will definitely show you the ropes. So, again, I would say look for that name, Michaela McPherson. Not for Rio, but... Let's see, she'll be 16 for the 2020 games and maybe there, or maybe even 2024. Uh, the Pace Line podcast can be found on the pages of RKP, Red Guy Prayer. Just head to the sound section of the site. We are also on Stitcher and iTunes. And if you could, please leave us comments. We'd love to hear you. what's on your mind, uh, what you think of the show. You can do that at RKP. And of course, rate us on iTunes. I checked our ratings and reviews recently, and we're doing pretty good there. Um, Some nice comments, but we love seeing those, hearing back, hearing back from folks who have segment ideas. That always works here on The Pace Line. Uh, So for Fatty and Patrick, I'm Michael Houghton. We'll talk to you next time on The Pace Line. I've been laying on the ground for an hour and a half, and I've just mustered up the strength to, to stand here in front of you.